Welcome to Educate to Self-Regulate, a podcast for educational leaders, teachers, and students, where in less than 20 minutes, we unpack educational research to support you and your students to become better learners. Hello, listeners. It has been a long time. Shyam, my friend, how are you doing? I'm well, Rory. How are you, man? Not too bad. I actually have lost track of how many weeks it has been since we last did a recording. In fact, I think I know. I think it was over the school holidays. And no, actually, that's a lie. It was well before the school holidays because I got married on the school holidays. We recorded a podcast two or three weeks before that. So we could be seven weeks between drinks here. Mate, it has been a long time. You've got married. I've had a baby boy um, taking my tally of children up to two. (laughs) Congratulations to so, you. So it's been it's been a crazy few weeks, but obviously contributing to the delay between our podcast recordings. But hopefully our listeners were hanging out and waiting for this episode to be dropped. So um they'll be listening intently, I'm sure. So this week we are discussing the idea of cognitive load. Before we begin, we want to address that we're not discussing cognitive load as in cognitive load theory as it pertains strictly to instruction. So we are talking about cognitive load in terms of or the, the overwhelming of working memory. And I think that it's important to make that distinction from the start. How would you describe cognitive load as we are going to be discussing it? I'm assuming most of the educators, if not all the educators listening to, to the podcast, have an understanding of sort of information processing theory and, and understand that we have this memory system or subsystem called working memory. And that that really is... As information comes through our sensory memory, when we pay attention to information in our sensory memory, it comes into working memory and we have the ability to manipulate information in there. But what research has shown is that the capacity of working memory is limited. Cognitive load is really about the pressure on working memory and therefore our ability to strategically manipulate that information that's in that memory subsystem. Really, our ability to manipulate that means that it's going to be more likely to be encoded into long-term memory. So the benefit of not feeling overloaded means that we can better process information into our long-term memory. And so if we had to come up with an example of what it would feel like for your working memory to be overloaded, have you got like a tangible explanation for that? Yeah. So, you know, I was thinking about this before, Rory, and I think I see this a lot in secondary school students and tertiary students and and myself included that whenever we're faced with or learners are faced with and if i I use readings because you know we use readings in in classrooms all the time like you know we give them articles or we give them blogs or we give them uh, a newspaper article or something like that you know there's the research papers sometimes those articles or papers will have complex concepts or complex language. And when a learner sits down to read that, there's a level of overwhelm simply by the complexity of the language, the conceptual understanding. And that's not to take into consideration extraneous factors within the environment that might be contributing to the pressure on their working memory, right? And so that's a really typical example that we might see. And for some learners, they're going to throw their hands up and say, right, this is too hard. This is beyond my ability. So from the lens of self-regulated learning, I think a learner who can recognize when they're experiencing cognitive load and has a set of strategies to navigate, that's where you will see persistence in a task. And so it's really important, of course, we want our learners to persist in learning. So they need to be able to recognize cognitive load 
or cognitive overload and have strategies to minimize, reduce, and therefore process information. So I suppose you've come up with a really good example of reading a complex text. And as you were talking about it, I thought about, well, it's so interesting that at school for younger learners, we manage the cognitive load of complex text by reading together. And we will segment off sections of text at a time. We will define tricky vocabulary. We will ask the students comprehension questions as we go so that they understand how to engage with a complex text or piece of information. I'd never really considered that in doing that, which is considered high quality reading instruction, you're also modeling a self-regulatory process perhaps that we would want older students or even adult learners like you or I, if we're reading a journal article, to be able to do independently. And it all comes down to how you teach it, right? Like, are you facilitating that? Because that, that, that process is beautiful. I think if you facilitate that as a teacher, then the students can engage in that process. But if you want them to be able to self-regulate learning when they are confronted by a complex text, have they internalized that, okay, the first thing I need to do, or one of the strategies that I could do is I could I could read it out loud with some friends or I could break it down, I could chunk it down into smaller bite-sized paragraphs and, and, and tackle one at a time or you know, whatever it is. Like Highlight a tricky word and then use the sentence or the paragraph around it to yeah. define that tricky word in context. So if you're, as an adult learner, engaging with a complex text, do you have any specific strategies that would be considered probably reading skills, but also could be considered self-regulatory strategies to reduce cognitive load while reading. Do you have any that kind of you use or could be explicitly taught? Yeah, absolutely. And and this perhaps might be a strategy for professionals like ourselves, because I read a lot of research journal articles regularly, and particularly when they're, they're quite complex, right? Like they tend to be quite conceptually heavy. I will recognize almost within, I would say, whether the abstract or the first page, I can identify that I'm experiencing cognitive load just simply by my level of comprehension. And so I'm using a level of comprehension monitoring to go... I don't get this. Like that is an indicator for me that there's there's too much complexity in the task for me to be able to understand it. And so what, what I'll then do is stop reading. And we spoke about this strategy before we got on the podcast, but rereading can be yep. a simple way to, I'll, I'll often reread, but at a slower pace because I've recognized that this is going to take longer for me to process. Rereading is one thing that I would teach students to do and it's such a simple one uh the other seems thing- it seems like common sense people will often do that automatically but some learners won't even th- won't think actually think to do that unless instructed to do so yeah yeah 100 percent. and these are the students that we uh, essentially want to work directly with in terms of supporting them to better self-regulate is how do we help them a recognize that they're experiencing cognitive load B, generate the strategy if they have it, that rereading is an option in this moment to engage as opposed to them potentially becoming paralyzed with the complexity and the the cognitive overload and then just sitting there or throwing their hands up and saying, tapping out or for some learners actually engaging in negative behaviors as a defense mechanism for an inability to engage with the complex information because asking for help might be perceived as being stupid or, you know, there, there's a, a potential fear of per- social perception 
by asking for help. So I'm actually just better off distracting others. And that gets into this kind of like the meta level discussion about a student's understanding of what learning actually should be. That becomes almost like a classroom culture thing. I think about the way that teachers talk about learning and how you're supposed to feel while you learn and what are possible things that you could experience while you learn, like challenges, like difficulty, and then having a repertoire of self-regulatory skills to be able to overcome it. And so so what I would envisage, and I've done this with classes before, where I think framing up is really, really important. So before I give the text over to the students, I'll talk to them about, and you know, I could either get them to generate strategies or I could just explicitly talk about, I'm about to give you a challenging text. And some of you might, when you start reading it, feel a sense of overwhelm or you might feel, I've sometimes described it as sort of brain fade or you know, your brain's hurting. <laughs> and so, you know, you use some of these different language to help students understand and, and connect with this notion of pressure on my working memory so that they can recognize it. And then you're giving them an opportunity to teach them some strategies and say, right, okay, see how you go with this text. But I want you to apply some of these strategies as you navigate this text and let me know whether they work and whether they don't. Like, let's have a conversation about that. I think that's a really simple way to help students self-regulate their cognitive load or self-regulate their information processing so that cognitive load doesn't become a barrier to learning. And it's interesting, I see so many parallels to like the way that we approach our instruction because of the learning that we've done. So similar example that just popped into my head from my classroom practice is if we're doing problem solving in mathematics, I presented my class with a almost like an A4 page with an outline of a problem. It was to do with a prisoner that was trying to escape from jail. It's called the escape on NZ problem solving. If anybody wants to go on and have a look. And there was so much text that I knew that working memory memory would be overwhelmed. And so I pre-warned the students. I said, this is, there's going to be a lot of complex information in this. We need to develop a strategy to lighten the load and to on our working memory and talked about working memory and talked about that's the part the area where we do really hard thinking and because there's only so much that we can think about at once we need to find ways to make that load lighter one of those ways is by taking the complex information that's written and represent it visually so that we can actually see through a picture what this paragraph or two paragraphs of text are telling us. Now, the process of actually drawing the picture means that you need to go through two or three sentences at a time. You have to reread it. You have to talk to yourself about what that actually means and what that looks like. And while beforehand, I would have just said, oh, we need to draw a picture for this problem, adding the extra information in about working memory and why it's important. I think that allows for transferability because students will identify hopefully with that feeling of being overwhelmed and go oh i know that there's things that i can do to relieve it that might that transfer might not be as possible without that extra metacognitive knowledge around your working memory and why it's important to manage the flow of information into yeah and how fantastic that you know we've got 11 and 12 year olds starting to develop their language about their cognitive processes and their working memory and, and tapping into recognizing this this lightening, I love that phrase, lightening the load and, you know, making it really accessible for them. And hopefully, you know, seeing them start to implement some of those strategies on their own when they're confronted by complexity um, in their tasks. I think that's great. 
Yeah. I think there's so many areas of teaching and learning now that I try to think about from multiple perspectives. You could have a learner in your class that is having difficulties with a challenging concept because of maybe a lack of understanding or they don't have a well-developed schema of knowledge to attach that new knowledge to. But there can also be challenges with self-regulatory processes or an overload of working memory that could be worked through with self-regulatory scaffolding rather than explicit instruction around a concept. So an example that I'm thinking about is a student in my class. We were doing some writing recently this week and we'd done a class plan together. So it was a shared piece of writing. Everybody was just going to continue the story that we had generated together. It was descriptive writing. It was to do with two students who were going trick-or-treating and they were walking up a pathway towards a derelict mansion. And so they just had to describe the walk from the gate to the pathway and they had to do 10 sentences of slow motion writing where they detailed different things in the garden and the house and the gate to build this feeling of suspense. So we planned this all together and then they just all had to go and write. She wrote three sentences, stopped, thought too much about how to perfect them, went to another page, wrote another three sentences, got herself at a kerfuffle and said, I've done these three sentences. I didn't like them. I started again, done another three sentences. And this is like, no, no, I've got myself completely stuck and I don't know what to do. And so she fully understood the writing element. She fully understood the instructions, but her ability to manage the writing process was her difficulty. And I felt like her working memory was overloaded. So I asked her a couple of simple questions. I said, what's the objective? And she was like, to do descriptive writing. I asked her, if she had a plan and if she was using it, she said that she wasn't actually using the plan. She was generating things from memory. I said, okay, use the plan. And I said, the third thing is your goal is to get 10 sentences done. It doesn't matter about the quality. Make sure that there's imagery and description included. And we've been working on that. But the goal is 10 sentences. So I gave her three things to focus on and sent her away. And in 20 minutes, she was able to write the 10. And it wasn't to do with a lack of knowledge or understanding about how to write. It was her ability to manage the writing process and to stay focused on two or three things that were most important to her. And how fantastic that this learner recognized that she was stuck, overwhelmed, overloaded, came to you. So she sought help as a self-regulated learning strategy. And we spoke about one strategy to navigate cognitive load is stepping away sometimes, but also getting outside of your own head. And sometimes you need someone else to help you do that. How lucky for this young learner to be able to access you as a skilled coach who could ask the right questions to help her gain clarity around what she needed to do to move forward. That is the role of a coach. And so in this case, very much operating in a coaching and a learning context or a learning coach. And I think so much now I am thinking about my job and whenever I'm trying to support someone is I'm asking, when I engage with a student and they've got an issue, I'm asking myself, is this a challenge that they have to do with a concept that they don't understand that requires me to take the reins and give a lot of its explicit instruction and provide models and do explicit teaching? Or is it a challenge to do with their ability to self-regulate or manage the complexities of the task at an organizational level or an information processing level, which I think I should be able to scaffold their self-regulated learning to be able to do that, possibly just by asking probing questions for them to think themselves and gain clarity. So it's co-regulation in the hope that eventually the next time the student goes to do her writing, she might be able to ask herself her own questions to gain clarity 
and make progress without the support of me because she's gone through that process where we've done it together. And that's definitely part of the scaffolding process in the, in the way that we teach learners. Some learners are, are ready to take a strategy and run with it and others need a little bit more consultation. I think having flexibility in the way that we respond to our learners based on their level of self-regulated learning competence is really important in making that decision as a professional about what's going to be the best response for this learner right now. Um, I was reading an article that was published in 2020 by Worth et al. I'll, I'll drop it in the podcast notes. But what was really interesting in that article, it looks at self-regulated learning and cognitive loads. And it was just a conversation around when we teach self-regulated learning strategies and a learner is processing information about a self-regulated learning strategy and applying it in practice, that in, in essence is adding to their cognitive load. And we need to be mindful of that when because they're also learning content at the same time to do with a particular subject i think it's easy as educators to go right now the 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 content is where we want their cognitive load to sit but actually if if they develop expertise and they start to automatize those self-regulated learning skills well that cognitive load for self-regulated learning should reduce which means then they'll actually be able to navigate learning in other spaces better and so it's a bit like you know which one should we prioritize first of course we're going to advocate for self-regulated learning but it is hard to do in in context because we are always challenged by other curriculum demands as well and so something to think about now rory it's time for our favorite part of the episode. On the reg. On the reg. All right. Um, I'll get us going with on the reg and I will keep it short now. It's keeping with our focus of reducing cognitive load. A way, I suppose, that I try to reduce cognitive load for myself, if I'm feeling incredibly overwhelmed, it's usually because either A, a task is incredibly challenging, or B, I have so many tasks that I'm not sure which one to think about first. I'm not sure which one is, you know, the one that I should spend most of my time on. Two strategies, I suppose, that I use. One, before making any decisions or asking myself questions, is I go straight to box breathing. And I'll take a minute, a minute and a half or two minutes, set a timer on my phone and just do two minutes of box breathing to gain a bit of control back, I suppose, if my thoughts are getting carried away. And then secondly, ask myself questions to gain clarity around what's the most important thing, what's a quick win so I can start to boost motivation. Third thing, start to segment off time where I say, I'm going to spend 30 minutes on this. That's as long as I'm going to take an hour on this. That's as long as I'm going to take. I can't always stick to the time structures. It's something that I'm still working on. But that's my process. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with box breathing, how does that function for you? So you breathe in for four seconds, you hold for four seconds, you breathe out for four seconds, you hold for four seconds, you breathe in for four seconds, you hold for four seconds, and you repeat that. And if it helps, you can use the visual of a box. I actually have taught, taught it to my students two weeks ago and drew the visual of the box and labeled the box as in, in, out, in, out, did some practicing together and try to get them to do it as well as me. Yep. And uh, definitely if you Google uh, box breathing and click on images in Google, you'll get those boxes with that. So I think that's really helpful for anyone who's not familiar with that technique. In terms of my on the reg, Rory, I mentioned it before, stepping away. You know, I'm writing a book right now and I've had multiple moments just today where I've I felt overloaded and felt like I was blankly staring at a screen. My go-to strategy is closing my laptop and stepping away. And that's not a hands up, this is too hard. 
it's uh, I need to take a break. And that could simply be going for a walk to the toilet and coming back. It could be walking to a new location. It could be walking and having some lunch. So, uh, yeah, you definitely you can't deny the benefits of stepping away from the desk. And so that's my go-to strategy and hopefully an easy strategy for others to utilize as well. On that note, Rory, lovely catching up. It's been a pleasure, mate. If you are a new listener to the podcast, make sure you share it with friends, save it or subscribe. And if you have any questions and we really want to hear from our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, send us a DM through either of our social media channels, which is Twitter and Instagram at ed to self reg as always to you and everyone else out there keep regulating